Well, church, as we do that, as we um, gather our offerings this morning, um, we bring our attention to the Word of God. And uh, we are in a study, an amazing study of the Gospel of Mark. And we have been on this journey through the Gospel of Mark. It's quite a unique Gospel. You know, it's unique in that... um, Mark is a very sort of immediate writer. You know, he kind of like, he kind of uh, uses that word immediate a lot. He's trying to get people's attention and get to some place. And you can sense it in his writing. And that place we are quickly approaching. In fact, in our story, we see that um, we are just about headed towards Friday. What we might call Good Friday the day of our Lord's crucifixion, His betrayal, and His death. But you know, before that, on that Thursday night of Holy Week or Passion Week, there was something very unique and special that happened. And we call it the Last Supper. It was the First Communion. And this morning, after this brief message, we're going to actually partake together in what the Lord Jesus set into motion for us. And we will be participating along with millions of other believers around the world doing the same thing today, participating in the tradition of the disciples, the very first church and the ancient tradition of Christianity. And so we are in Mark chapter 14. And so it'll, in a, a few moments it will be up on the screen, but if you follow along in your own Bibles, we are in Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at the first 25 verses And you're going to see in here some familiar stories where the betrayal begins to take shape, where Jesus is anointed, and then he institutes the first communion. But you know, Claudia and I were, um, yesterday we were home and sort of just reminiscing about being empty nesters, and I'm probably going to say it every Sunday now, right? You're going to hear it. You'll be tired of hearing it. And uh, we were having a garage sale yesterday. And so we had a lot of time to talk after we set up and got to meet some interesting people. And we're just talking and, and, you know, talking about what it's going to look like when we go on this missions trip in July because we had this garage sale so that we could raise some money for our missions trip. And so all 13 people that are going are responsible for raising $2,000 on their own. And many of you have been giving towards that fund to help everybody. And we appreciate that very much. But you know, I was, um, I was thinking of this verse yesterday as Claudia and I were sitting there about halfway through our garage sale. Proverbs 16.9, it's this great truth. It says, in his heart a person will plan their course, but the Lord sets the steps. See, we had this great plan and idea that we would make a lot of money selling all of our stuff. And now we have had many garage sales and yard sales over uh, the 28 years we've been married, all different places we've lived, and they have always been very successful. Especially when we had little kids, it seems like all the baby clothes and toys, they always go. We always seem to make a few hundred dollars at least. And so uh, we set everything up, and we're looking forward to, to doing that. And we figured, you know, maybe even the shore traffic would would help, and we get all these people coming to the shore, and they would stop. And it was actually, we participated in a three-town-wide Garage sale was a fundraiser for the local PTO, and if you give $25, you get on a map. They put balloons outside your house so people know that you're having a garage sale. 
So we figured, wow, this would be great. And so here we were at about 11, 12 o'clock. Man, we sold a few things. And we had a grand total of $3 (laughs) by about noon. And we were looking at each other saying, this is not right. Like, this is not how it has gone in the past. There were people coming, people looking at some of the, all the expensive stuff. They were looking at, you know, $3 we had. That's right. Maybe it was all the competition. I don't know. Supply and demand, you know, everybody else. And so we're, we're sitting here thinking and kind of feeling pretty lame and feeling like, kind of like, you know, oh man, this, this is not working out the way we thought. And we're thinking, well, I mean, I hope we got to get to go to Brazil because this, we need to come up with a different plan. But I tell you, like the Lord brought Proverbs 16:9 to mind because what happened next was so beautiful. At about noontime, all our mail carrier came, and she came up the driveway. I tried to get her to buy a dresser. She wouldn't take it. And she had a truck and everything. I was like, it's perfect. You could take it. And it didn't work. And so she comes up and hands us the mail. And so, you know, we were feeling pretty dejected. And so we opened the mail sitting there together. And wouldn't you know that one of our relatives sent us a check for $100 towards our, towards our, our missions trip, you know. And, um, and we were just like, wow, like here we were, like we were in the hole, we paid $25 and we made three. So we were still in the negative, but we get this check from our relatives. And then a few minutes later, up walks this young couple that we know from up North from an old church. And we hadn't seen them in maybe a year and they came strolling in. They said, you know, we saw that, uh, your Facebook, uh, on Facebook, you advertise this, you're raising money and. We just wanted to come visit you, and so it was a great time to see them. They came to support us, but then before they left, they handed us $100. And how beautiful it was that they came to encourage us, support us, you know, um, and, but also financially. You know, and then as the day went on, we were, Claudia was checking and checking emails, checking our GoFundMe page, and we recognized that some other friends of ours from another old church who are out in Pennsylvania now, they gave $150 online while we were sitting there. Uh, and then some, uh, another young couple, uh, we participated in, in officiating their, their wedding. Uh, they live out in, in, um, in the Midwest now, and they donated $100. Uh, and then we finally had one other family member, uh, right as we were cleaning up, give us $200. And so we were just floored. And we felt guilty for, you know questioning and feeling bad but here we were and all all told we we um we received um 650 in donations and i have to say and i'm not gonna say it's the irony it's just the beauty of god all of the stuff that we were selling was not even near worth 650 so even if we sold every single item we wouldn't have made half that and so we were sitting there thinking boy we're only going to make three dollars And God sends us. You know what He did? He blessed us richly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Isn't He a good God? And so every month, the Brazil team, we get together, we encourage each other. God is going to provide because we all feel individually, we sense and we know that God has called us. So the money will come. Money is not a problem for God. But isn't it so cool that we had a plan... But God had a different plan. 
we thought our plan was pretty good. We had some really cool stuff of that, and we set it up, and Claudia's a master at doing that, and, and here it was, $3, feeling so far, sorry, uh, sorry for ourselves. <clears throat> but yet, we thought that this would all play out in one particular way. <clears throat> but God had another way. And He blessed us with so much more than we could have even thought on that day. So God had a plan. It wasn't our plan, but that has to be okay. And that's sort of the story that we're going to see today play out in Mark 14, 1 to 25. See, the disciples had a plan. They were prepared for victory. Their Messiah, Jesus, was going to overthrow uh, the Roman government and the oppressors and was going to take charge. And they had a plan and they were preparing for victory, for life. And Jesus had a plan. His plan was for victory. And he was preparing, but he wasn't preparing for life as they thought. He was preparing for death. See, he was anointed by Mary, anointed with oil, which is what they did in preparation for burial. And Jesus calls it right out for what it was. But the beauty, the outcome was still victory. But it wasn't the victory the way the disciples thought it would play out. But yet the outcome was greater and more abundant than they could ever ask or think or hope or imagine. And so um, for the next 10, 15 minutes or so, I just want to share some highlights from this passage. I'm going to read it now. But I want to focus on the end, just the last few verses where we're going to sort of park there. Because it's all about the communion table. It's all about what Jesus institutes for His church, what He teaches us, and why it's so important that we continue to do this together. So there are sort of three acts or three scenes that play out in our passage today. They're all connected. It starts with the plot to kill Jesus and his betrayal by Judas and the religious leaders. He then is anointed with oil, a very um, expensive perfume, which has great significance And then he celebrates the Passover, an annual feast, the people of Israel, commemorating their rescue from bondage in Egypt. And remember, that's why Jerusalem was packed with millions of people, because everybody, every Jew from all four corners of the earth were there to celebrate, to go to the temple to worship, and to celebrate the Passover. And so Jesus sets aside a place, a quiet place, to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples, it would be the last one that he would celebrate with them. So it had great significance. And so that's what we're going to see play out today. So let me read it. And again, it'll be on the screen and you can read it along in your own Bibles um, as we, we see what plays out in Mark chapter 14. It says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and she poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, 
Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And But they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you see, you always will have the poor with you. And whatever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She, was anoint, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, he went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And so on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go to the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. So follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of that house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to, it said to him one after the other, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so I want to briefly kind of give us an overview of the first maybe three quarters of this. And then we're just going to spend the last few minutes together before we come around the table looking at verses 22 to 25. See, first there was this plot to kill Jesus in verses 1 and 2 and then later in 10 through 21. There was this plot to kill him. But see, the religious leaders were being really sly. But they knew that this would be an opportune time, but they had to do it sort of on the down low. You know why? Again, there were millions of people in Jerusalem. They were in town. There was a lot of, a lot of traffic, kind of like we experienced last weekend, right? A lot of traffic down here. Millions of people coming and going. And, and it was really interesting because what happens is these religious leaders, they've been trying to get Jesus for a while now. They say this could be a good opportunity, but they're afraid of inciting a riot. Why? Because the high holy days, the important holy days of the Jewish people were also a historic time for insurgencies and revolts and uprisings. 
Because you remember what the Jewish people are remembering and celebrating during the Passover? They're celebrating rescue and redemption from what? From an oppressive, foreign group of people. Just like they experienced in Egypt. They were experiencing that at that time. Remember, the Roman government was in charge, oppressing the Jewish people. And they thought, boy, this is the time it's sort of on their minds. And so we don't want to do anything with Jesus publicly because it's going to incite a riot. And so they have to figure out a way to do it quietly. And of course, here comes Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. And it says that, that he was looking for a way to betray him. So he went to the leaders and they were so excited. Yeah, here's our way. And they offered to give him money to do it. So there was things happening behind the scenes. His betrayal was set into motion. But it's so interesting. I mean, look at Judas Iscariot for a moment. I mean, here was a follower of Jesus, just like the other 11. And he ate with Jesus and, and he walked with them and he learned from him. I'm sure they laughed together and, and they spent almost three years together. But there was something missing from his point of view. See, Judas had a plan. He thought the plan was that Jesus, this Messiah, would be victorious and would overthrow the Roman occupiers. And it wasn't playing out that way because Jesus started talking about things like, I need to die, but then I'm going to come back to life and you can't go where I'm going to go. Can you just picture Judas Iscariot was disgruntled. And he was disillusioned. He didn't like the plan the way it was playing out. See, he had an idea. He had a plan. But God had a different plan. He didn't like the way it was going. It wasn't the way he thought it should be playing out. So Judas basically gave up on Jesus. Gave up on that plan. And said, well, I'm cashing it in. What a waste of time. All of this, this last three years was. This is where it's come to. And so he decides to betray the one that he had followed. He had certain expectations. And his plan, his expectations, were not what Jesus had in mind. So Judas gave up. See, there's this idea of cost and worth, right? I mean... He was probably thinking to himself, look at what this has cost me. But what was it worth these past three years? Did I get my money's worth? Right? That's how he looked at his relationship with Jesus. So he finds a way to make some money in betraying him. Almost like, well, this isn't going to go the way I want. I better get out. I'll make some money while I'm doing it. He betrayed him for money. He didn't see the value and the worth of what Jesus had said and his plan Because Judas had his own idea. It was not what he expected. Do we put all of the honor and the worth and the value on what it cost Jesus? See, we say salvation is a free gift, and it is. It didn't cost us anything because we don't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. But yet, it cost Jesus his very life. So in a few moments when we come around the table, consider that. Do we remember the cost do we remember the worth do we remember the value then jesus was anointed verses three through nine there was two different times in his life where he was anointed luke mentions one and it was at a pharisee's house and that's not what this one is but this is anointing 
One version says it was his feet, his, his head. And in this case, it was this, uh, he was anointed over his head. It would have been Mary, the sister of Mag, uh, Mary Magdalene, Lazarus. And see, Mary was an eyewitness to the death and the resurrection of Lazarus, her brother. I think she understood. So it says that they were gathered together. They were eating a meal together. This is in the Passover. This is right before that. And it says that Mary, it doesn't name her, but that's we know from other scriptures, she comes up to him and she has this jar. It's an alabaster jar. And it was filled with this really expensive perfume. Pure nard. It, kind of, it was this great, uh, really expensive spice that, that came from uh, India. And so she had it and she broke it to open it. It was sealed. That's how uh, precious it was. She broke it and she poured it over his head. So she's looking at it and Jesus is being anointed. I think she understands. She saw him raise Lazarus back to life and she understands there's somehow what Jesus is about to do is important and he has to do this. She anoints his head with oil. But all the other disciples are watching and Judas is one of them and what are they thinking? And also we see Judas say the same thing. What a waste. They didn't see the value. They saw the value, the monetary value of what was in there. It said it was 300, how much denarii? Almost a year's wages. Think about it. Almost a year's worth of wages because one denarii was like a day's pay for the average laborer. Almost a year's worth. That would have been most likely like her life savings, her family fortune, her dowry, whatever you want to call it. She takes all she has. She gives it to Jesus. Remember we just talked about the widow and her two coins? See, Mary was all in. But of course, the disciples, they saw great value in that, but they saw it was being wasted. Wow, we could have taken this this, uh, perfume and sold it if that's what you wanted to do, and we could have given all the money to, to the poor. Do you think that's really what they would have done with it? How about Judas, the one who who we see elsewhere, he actually vocalizes that? He was skimming from the top. See, Judas was stealing money. He wasn't caring about the poor. He was like, that could have been my money. He saw value and worth, but it wasn't the value and worth that Jesus portrayed. Do we see the value and the worth in the Lord Jesus? So she anoints his head with oil. She gave all she had. She poured out an abundant blessing. She didn't just put a few drops on his head. She poured it all out. She was all in. She gave up all she had. She saw the value, a year's worth of wages, how long it would have taken them to save that up, to to purchase that, to have this. And she looked at it, and she looked at Jesus, and she looked at it, and she looked at Jesus, and she broke it, and she poured it over his head. Anointed her precious master with oil. I think she would have understood the symbolism. But then Jesus made it very clear, because then doesn't he just say to her, that she had done the right thing. That she was preparing for his burial. See, it's not what the disciples had expected. Jesus had another plan. He even rebukes the disciples and says, leave her alone. She's doing the right thing. He said, it's important what she's doing. He even says, this is going to be talked about forever. And he was right, because I'm talking about it right now. He said, wherever the gospel is preached, 
What she just did is going to be talked about. And here we are fulfilling that prophecy. See, there was cost in worth. She poured out all she had. She committed all to him, all of her affections, all of her love, all of her adoration, because he is worth it. But you also know kings, back in the Old Testament, kings were anointed. They were anointed before they were made king. I mean, Mary anoints him with honor like a king. Because he is the chosen king, the son of David, he will rule. But we know that his throne first comes through the thorns. Also anointing is simply being blessed by God and being chosen. That's what that word means, uh, the word anointing. It means being blessed and set apart, but chosen. Do you know, church, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, that you are anointed? What does it say? 2 Corinthians 1. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as our guarantee. We're given the Holy Spirit as a seal and a sign and a guarantee and we are anointed in Him. Why? Because we are chosen in Him. See? That we are set aside for Him and for His purposes. So we are called for a purpose. But are we willing to give it all up? We're willing to take that jar, that precious jar, all that we have. Now, I'm not just saying about giving all your money. I'm just talking about are we willing to take what's most precious to it? Maybe, maybe it's something in your heart. Maybe there's something that's so precious to you, you're, you're seeing the value, but you're not looking at it from the Lord's perspective. You see a great value, but you're not willing to give it up. She poured it on his head. See, Jesus offered life the response he got was death. The Jewish leaders meant death of Jesus to protect them from the Romans. They were very selfish, but Jesus meant his death to save all. The most unselfish act ever. Judas felt betrayed, but Jesus was the one who was betrayed. And Judas gave up, but Mary gave up all. See, his plan is better. We are to trust his sovereign will. Life We know the Lord Jesus teaches us comes from death. We are given new life because of His death. We are called to daily die to self. To have that abundant life until He returns. Doesn't He say of His disciples, He says, if you want to be My disciple, then what are you to do? Take up your cross daily and follow Me. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow Me. Are we all in for Jesus? Are we going to be like Judas? Say, these plans aren't working out. He's not answering my prayers. I think that's enough. Was it really worth it? But what about the Last Supper and communion? He says things like, this is a new covenant in my blood. And he says, I won't drink of it again until I return. And so I wanted to end by looking at that because that's what we're about to participate in, church. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's called um, the bread and the cup. It's the communion table. And you know, um, when we, uh, in a moment, when we, we pass the bread and we pass the cup, I want you to know the great significance. We know what they represent. But did you know that in our passage, Jesus said that he wouldn't drink again until the kingdom? See, it says that he, after supper, he drank. And he says, I wouldn't, I'm not going to drink again until the kingdom. 
See, the cup, a cup in the Old Testament, is a symbol of both salvation and judgment. God poured out His judgment on the Egyptians, but He saved the Israelites. See, God poured. He poured out His blessings, but He also pours out judgment. So in the traditions of the Jewish faith, this was instituted even before the Lord Jesus, He would have known this growing up as a young Jewish boy. That during the Passover meal, which is, remember, what He was celebrating with His disciples, the Passover meal, uh, remembering how God saved the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. We all know that story with Moses. That every year when they remember it, there are four cups during that celebration that they drink from. And each cup is significant. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. The second one is the cup of judgment. The third is the cup of redemption. And the fourth is the cup of praise. And these come from Exodus chapter 6. When God promises to save His people from bondage in Egypt, He tells them how He's going to sanctify them, but there will be judgment on those, the Egyptians. There will be redemption for them, and then there will be praise. So the cup after supper with Jesus and His disciples, that was the third cup. It was the third. It was the cup of redemption. Because traditionally, you drink the third cup after supper. See, and so it says in our text that after dinner, after supper, Jesus took the cup. It would have been the third cup. You follow me? And this is important. So he was drinking from the third cup, which is traditionally known as the cup of redemption. Jesus knew it. All the disciples would have known it. But he says, now the redemption is through my blood. So when he says, this is a new covenant in my blood, when we take the cup and we remember that, that's what Jesus was doing. He says, this cup that he's passing, yeah, this is that third cup, the cup of redemption. But it's going to be different from now on. He's telling his disciples, this is now the covenant, a new covenant in my blood. It's the cup of redemption, but it's a new covenant. See, back in Jeremiah 31, God made a promise and he said, I'll give you a new covenant because you broke the old covenant. God is gracious and merciful. So there would be judgment, but Jesus says this cup of redemption is now not under the law, but it's by grace. It is a new covenant in my blood. And he says to drink it in remembrance of him. So Jesus was clearly speaking about what would happen just a few short hours later. So later in that evening, after the supper, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus cried out to the Lord in anguished prayer. What did he say? Father, if it is your will, take what? This cup. Take this cup away from me. It would have been the cup of judgment that second cup take this cup of judgment away from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done that's the cup he was talking about see in his humanity jesus wished that the cup of judgment that we actually deserved would pass over him but yet he was the obedient son of god he knew that the cup of blessing as paul now calls it could only be poured out for the salvation of many if he would first Drink of the cup of God's judgment. Do you see the symbolism there? He took the second cup, the cup of judgment, upon himself so that the third cup could be in his blood. And Paul later calls it the cup of blessing. And finally, I say this. You know, in that passage in Exodus 6, where God promises to release the people of Israel from bondage, 
This is what he says. This is where they get the cups from, the four traditional cups. God says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God said that He would redeem His people with His outstretched arm. Did not our Lord Jesus have His arms outstretched on the cross? It's what we're remembering here today. That's how He redeems us, with His outstretched arms. He says it's His body, it's His blood. And so now we're going to take of the communion elements. We're going to pass the bread. And we're going to pray for it and eat it. We're going to pass the cup and pray for it and take it together. So all that I said, I pray that, that something sticks, that you, that you remember something and, and meditate on it. As you hear the, the music playing and, and, and you're waiting for everyone to, to get the bread of the cup before we eat and drink together, just reflect on what the Lord Jesus has done for you. Let's do that. And brother, would you please pray for the bread before?